Hi, I'm Claire Allen. And I'm Erin Spencer. And welcome to Strings and Things. This is a new podcast where we talk about teaching and learning violin and other things that we love. Each episode will have a violin topic that we focus on and something else, most likely related to Jane Austen, which we love. (laughs) So today we thought that it'd be fun to get to know you over tea and scones. And we actually do have tea and scones here. (laughs) Trader Joe's. Just add water. It's awesome. Yeah. And talk a little bit about how we got started on violin and our musical journey and uh, any advice that we have for parents whose children have started asking for violin. Or new students as well. Great. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about our inspiration behind all of this. Um, We are both big, big fans of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which if you don't know it, go to YouTube, look up the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. It is a modern vlog-style adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yes, you'll need to clear your schedule probably for a few days because you will just fall in love like we did and want to do nothing else. So, inspired by that, we are kind of taking to the podcast rather than the vlog. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully as something that parents and students can listen to in the cars they drive around um, to talk some violin stuff. Right. I mean, it's kind of, I'm excited because lessons are so short and we spend so much time just sort of giving information and helping you do better that a lot of these things that are really fun and interesting to talk about, we just don't have time. Right. I I don't think students will consider it a lesson well spent if I tell you, like, my life story over half of it. (laughs) Um, So I guess first let's kind of say what we do now and then... We can So we both teach uh, private violin lessons at Potomac Arts Academy in Fairfax, Virginia. Um, and I have been there three years, um, and I have quite a big studio by this point, and also um, started this group class series for beginners called Violin Beginnings, and then when Erin came on last last year yep, it was so year she ago. helped me refine it and make it even more awesome and also started building a studio yes so now I've got not a quite as big as Claire's but it's a good size studio and especially given the fact that I will be student teaching in the public schools this fall and my mm-hmm. time is very limited but uh yeah I love teaching and I'm excited cool. to keep so, so Aaron, how did you get started playing violin? Like, what made you want to play violin? How old were you? What was your first teacher like? Okay. So, I was always very interested in music. My mom had me in piano lessons, Suzuki piano lessons from the time that I was five. And I liked it. Uh, when I was a few years older, there was a really big concert that took place in Utah, which is where I'm from, and uh, all the Suzuki students in the state of Utah were invited to participate. It was a really big deal. So there was like 200 pianos and... Is there a room that has 200 Right. So it was was in uh, the Salt Lake Tabernacle in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. It's really big, and uh, 
but not just piano. There was Suzuki guitar and flute and and violin. So my mom wanted me to participate in this concert to sort of so I could see the older pianists and be inspired mm-hmm. by them. But instead, <laughs> I saw the violin students and oh, mom, I want to do that one instead. <laughs> and um, my mom was. Uh, very hesitant to let me start that. She was very comfortable with piano and helped me practice a lot and knew nothing about violin and so uh, we held off until I was I think 11 and then orchestra started in public school and so I started orchestra and private lessons uh, together and I just, I cannot remember a time when I was not very um, enthralled with violin and music in general, and I was very, very excited to start. Mm -hmm. I think I actually have kind of a similar thing, minus the piano. Um, Right. I think I had a very, I guess music was always a part of my life. My parents both really liked classical music. So it was just on all the time. Um, I really liked uh, Broadway musicals. Apparently when I was two, I listened to the Music Man soundtrack like for a year straight, like could not fall asleep without it on. Um, I don't remember all the words anymore, but I know the tunes. Right. Um, And then, let's see. Oh, oh, in elementary school, my first musical instrument was a recorder. And when I was four, I think my aunt gave me one of those like learn to play recorder books and it was Beauty and the Beast because Beauty and the Beast the, came out when I was four. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. We're going to have to do a Beauty and the Beast podcast. We will. Several. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it was the type of teach yourself to play recorder and learn to play songs from Beauty and the Beast and the type of musical notation with like the name written in the... I'm doing things with my hands, guys, and I just realized that you can't see me at all, um, so that's not I helpful. I can see you, so... So anyway, it's the the name of the, the letter name of the note is written in the note head, so that I learned how to read music that way. Um, and then we had more recorder and general music in schools, and I always remember being really fascinated by the violin. Um, one of my friends had one of those horrible toy violins where you like press a button and move the plastic bow across the strings oh, no. and instantly plays a song. Oh. Yeah. yeah, no, I remember because it like played Ode to Joy oh. and that was a thing. Um, and my parents were just like, you can start violin in fourth grade. Fourth grade is when people start violin in school. So I started playing in fourth grade um, when they asked to pick the instrument. I just don't remember there ever being a question. Um, and I started doing really well. I really liked practicing. I taught myself Ode to Joy. Um, and I know you guys out there, all of my students who are listening to this, I know from teaching myself that it was super cool, but like 10, 12 years later, then I learned how to have good technique. Learn good technique now. Do what I say, please. (laughs) Curve those thumbs. Right. Tall violin. So my technique was awful, and I have this really, really horrible picture of me. I mean, it's an awesome picture, but it's like, <laughs> I just want to dive into that picture and just like Fix save, everything. And just save that poor kid all of the physical therapy bills that would come her way later in life. Right. Um, but, and then after about a year in school orchestra, my teacher, my school orchestra teacher, Mrs. Roth, 
Mrs. Roth, you're awesome if you're listening. Um, she talked to my parents and was like, so Claire's pretty good at this and you really need to get her a teacher. And then she recommended me to her colleague, Mrs. Pohl, who was a violist um, in the Fairfax Symphony and taught at the middle and high school, um, but then also taught private violin lessons. And then I took lessons from her for a while. Um, and then she recommended me to my next teacher who recommended me my next teacher and you know kind of how that goes right um, So yeah, so those so interestingly enough despite the fact that both of us teach children as young as what three yeah three um, or four. Suzuki violin three or four we both started a lot older um, mm -hmm. which should be very encouraging to those who do start older that yeah you're never, I don't think you're ever too old to start. You can make right. a go of it. Right. And, and be very successful like us. Absolutely. Yes, we we have a podcast <laughs> in our li in Claire's living room. Uh, no, we're doing, we're doing well. Um, so yeah, so that's, so starting violin is a thing. Um, and there's definitely, um, for the parents out there listening, there's a level, depending on how old your kid is, there is a level of commitment that you are going to need to make. Um, I feel like a lot of the parents I meet who are new to the music world in general um, sort of have this vision that it's this thing that their kids are just going to love and adore and they'll be able to say, okay, it's time to practice your violin every day and the kid will go off and just practice. scamper And off. they won't have to do it. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, so I mentioned um, that my mom was very... Um, oh, right, with piano. My mom is, knows piano and she was really nervous about me starting violin because she um, she knew that she couldn't help me mm -hmm. figure out violin things the way that she could help me with piano. And um, so my mom was always, uh, she would always practice with me and she was very much, um, she helped me a lot in piano. And mm -hmm. by the time I was starting violin, I was older. I had a really strong musical foundation. Well, you probably and, already reading and everything too. Yes. And a lot. <laughs> a lot. And uh, so at that point, I had such a strong foundation that she she didn't have to always sit with me, although she would usually be, like, in across the room and mm -hmm. could help guide me as I was right. going along. But definitely when I was younger, she was always, always there. It's, it's difficult when you're young to maintain the level of focus that yes. is required to play the notes, do the bowings, stand in the same place for 10 seconds, <laughs> um, and maintain a beautiful violin posture, which is really weird. Can we of... just, can we just say that holding the violin is really weird? It's, it's a very weird thing. It it's... is not natural for the body. The hu it, It's not what, um, wherever you believe that humans came from, however you believe we were created, Whatever was creating us, or whatever we evolved to, like violin was not in a the thing. blueprint. It was yeah. not. <laughs> um, and through literally centuries of violin teaching and playing and learning, we've sort of worked out these ways where we make it easier. Um, I tell my students a lot that violin doesn't get easy. You just get better at learning to do hard things. Yeah, um, that's true. So I guess. We can kind of talk maybe through the age group, age ranges of when people tend to start, mm -hmm. um, but I definitely want to just touch on what you said earlier, just about um, 
it should be really encouraging that we started later and um, we both have master's degrees from Peabody. We are teaching violin at a professional level. Um, I think we've both chosen to focus on the teaching part of our careers first mm -hmm. rather yeah. than um, the playing thing, but um, I promise you guys we play really well. There's YouTube videos somewhere. <laughs> um, so we, we teach, we play, and we started at 9 and 11. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that especially in Suzuki circles, um, there's a huge emphasis on teaching really young kids. Right. Um, and some people have the belief that unless you start really crazy young, you're not going to have a future. Right. Um, I mean, part of the Suzuki tenants um, sort of grow from how children learn to speak their native right. language and a lot of the aspects, a lot of characteristics about Suzuki definitely draw from that and so you can start as young as three or four mm -hmm. but I think Suzuki is such a strong um, method that uh, if you start older right. at nine or eleven Right. Or even older, that it would, well, you will still be successful. Right. So if you have, say, a three to five year old, let's start there. Right. If you have a three to five year old and they are saying, Mommy, Daddy, I want to play violin, um, I guess the thing you as a parent would have to ask yourself is, Am I ready to sit in on lessons and take notes? And really, with this age group, um, learning how to have a lesson is kind of the main lesson. Right. So you might not get actual, very much actual violin stuff done. Um, it's very important to find a good teacher. Um, find a teacher who is um, who has worked with young children before, who has training to work with young children. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, maybe a studio where they would be able to see other children. Um, well, I think we should probably do an entire separate podcast about group classes. Right. Um, but you, for the parent, at, for this three to five year old range, you can really expect to be just about doing everything for them. Mm -hmm. If you think about the fact that they're still learning to tie their shoes, to read and write, to do any number of other things... Violin is harder than all of those times about 10. <laughs> um, so, at least in, in our studios, um, parents are expected to attend the lessons with them and to really be engaged in the lessons. So to be observing the lesson, to be taking notes, mm -hmm. um, to be working with the teacher. The, um, I spend a lot of time trying to show parents what they can do at home. Exactly. To work with them. Um, what I tell a lot of my parents who have... Uh, children that young studying with me is all of those things that you just said, but that also um, I'm I'm kind of teaching the parent how to teach their child at home. Right. I only see them 30 minutes every week, which mm -hmm. is not a lot, and so but they're at home all every day, every day and should be practicing with their child you know, 15 to 20 minutes every day, mm -hmm. which adds up to much more than 30 minutes right. every week. So they are the ones who will be responsible for making sure that things are happening. Right. And you just said it's important to practice every day. 
So it's not just finding that time for that lesson in your schedule, it's making sure that you have practice time in your schedule every day. Um, and parents of small children know that routine for kids this age is so important. So if you can establish a daily practice time and they mm -hmm. just get to the point where they know, okay, it's time to do violin. Right. Um, I would also, kind of on the other hand though, encourage parents to be willing to practice if their child wants to. Right. If they say, Absolutely. Mommy, I want to play my song, feel free if you Jump can. on that wagon. Yes. Jump, jump, absolutely jump yeah. on that and exactly. go with it. Um, so yeah, so if you have a really young child who really wants to learn music, um, the parents just have to be so prepared to yeah. really be involved at that level and to be involved and to be committed both in terms of the lessons and in terms of practicing. Mm -hmm. um, so once they get a little older, um, so like maybe let's take the next chunk, like maybe six to eight, Sure. Or so. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a point where kids start to have longer attention spans, and this for um, and th their fine motor skills are more developed. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of and they're starting their school age, so they're able to focus more. Yes. The idea of going somewhere and listening to a teacher to learn um, that's new for my like four and five year olds. I really find them all over the place a lot of the time, and it takes. Yeah really a couple months of really consistent lessons for them to get to the point where they can come in and they say, and I say, okay, it's time to show me your bow holds or it's time to play your song. Um, I have one four-year-old who's still really learning this right now. And it's like, okay, will you play this for me? No. I'm like, <laughs> right. well, that's not really an option here. Um, if you want to lie on the floor, you should be doing that at home. Right. Um, so working on to have the lesson, but at six to eight, you can actually really get through more material with them, they can listen to you for longer. Right. Um, they're more used to making their arms and hands and bodies just go where they're supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, but still needing a lot of help from parents to help keep them on track. Exactly. And to watch for things that the teacher tells them. So still parents coming to lessons, taking notes, observing or guiding mm -hmm. practice. Guiding at home. practice, I would say really important. at that point, um, you may not need to help mold children as much right. at that age since they are more aware of their bodies and what they should mm -hmm. be doing, but you still should be practicing referring to the notes that you took in class, referring to practice charts, kind of, or any videos or anything that we mm -hmm. provide to make sure that the quality of their practice right. is as high as it can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely if you've got a child, I guess, let's say, younger than that school age um, where you start, um, that's where you, um, the parents really have to be involved. For the child yeah. to have, for ch children to have a really successful experience, their parents just absolutely have to be involved and interested in what's going on and communicating with the teacher and working with their children regularly at home for violin. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that um, for many of the parents in my studio, this just adds another layer to the parent-child relationship. I mean, I'm not a mom. I know you're not either yet, <laughs> but um, from what people who are moms and dads tell me is violin can be a really special time of the day um, for them, and it can be a way that they get closer. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that can be very cool, but that's just, you have to be prepared for that level of engagement if you want 
to be successful that young. Right. Um, once you get older, once you hit that age where we started, I suppose, um, you run into this thing where the kids really want to be independent. Mm-hmm. And again, certainly at those beginning levels, still having mo- mom come to le- mom or dad come to lessons and watch and take notes um, while kids are learning. Um, and at this point, it's more reminding them to practice. Right. And I maybe think... watching things like, mm-hmm. okay, hey, is that how your teacher told you to, to do it? Or yeah. I think you could do that slower or things like that. Exactly. I remember when I was taking lessons I think my mom came and took less I mean took notes during my lessons Mm -hmm. until I was about 15 or 16 oh wow okay and and when I would practice um I could refer to her notes Mm because I was reading and comprehending things by Mm then and um she would often be like working in the office or cooking dinner and Erin, are you sure that that was as in tune as you can possibly do it? And I'd grumble, 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 but then I would do it again and do it better. (laughs) (laughs) And that's sort of the parent's role, I think, as children start to be more independent. Right. And I think I just want to talk about one other, as you get older, as you get to that middle and high school age, um... And that desire that kids have for independence and the desire that the parents have for them to be independent, um, really, even if it's the type of thing where parents don't come to lessons um, anymore once you get to that point or you have a child who's a middle schooler or a high school who might have been playing in school orchestra and then is like, oh, I need lessons if I really want to keep up. Um, at that point, the most important thing the parent can do is support. Um, making sure they're at lessons on time, making sure they're registered for lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, Attending performances. Yes. Being generally yes, supportive. Being, being there at the performance. Um, taking the time to get to know your kid's teacher and kind of understand. Um, I know that I particularly was a very dramatic teenager. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Um, but making sure that you understand the teacher's views Um, and what's going on in lessons, because you might have your teenager be like, oh my gosh, she spent the entire lesson on this stupid scale, and we didn't even get to my piece, and, you know, you you might hear about that, and, you know, your instinct might be to call the teacher, email the teacher, and say, you know, so-and-so came home, and is very upset, and why can't you do this in the lesson, Um, which, as a teacher, I'm just going to ask maybe if you can come from a perspective of asking what my goals are. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe that's the type of time where you would have to have a sit down and say, okay, what are the students' goals? What are the parents' goals? What are the teachers' goals? And kind of make sure everyone's yeah. on the same page. Right. Um, but just making sure that you know, um, hopefully you are in a situation where your teacher is working well with the student and um, really wants the best for them and trusting that sometimes you know, all kids want to play new pieces. So when your teacher tells you that it's not time to go on to a new piece, that doesn't mean they're mean, that doesn't mean they're trying to hold you back. It really probably means that they want you to fix something about your playing so you can play even better. Absolutely. Um, And that's probably the biggest thing I run into as a communication thing. So Mm -hmm. when the parent's in the lesson, as a younger, with younger children, they can see what's going on. 
they can tell that their kid's been spacing out for the last 10 minutes and hasn't <laughs> processed. Mm -hmm. But when a parent isn't in the lesson and they just hear the child side of it at home, um, if there if there's concerns, I think you know very open ended, clear communication yes. with the teacher can be a good thing. Exactly. I mean, I would just say that we do tend to have different goals and mm -hmm. just to be sure that if there's ever a concern to feel like you can talk to your teacher is really important. Right. Absolutely. We like we like talking. We're we're doing a podcast. <laughs> Obviously, we like talking. Um and, you know, I at least I'm at a point, and I think you are too, where if we take a student, it means we're, we've had a trial lesson with them and we're really interested in working with them and really interested in helping them develop as musicians. So, mm -hmm. you know, we really care. Exactly. And we want it to be a great experience. Um, and yeah, so this is going to be kind of a longer introductory podcast. Sure. But that's fine. Because we need to talk about the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Yeah. Our that was favorite. Okay, so we're going to just let's tell them where they can find it. Yeah. And if you don't know Pride and Prejudice, please go read the book <laughs> or watch the movies. Whatever you know. There are two versions. We'll have to have another podcast debating different <laughs> adaptations. Um, but anyway, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. I guess it came out like 2012. Yeah, I 2013. Think so. It was on for like a year, yeah. and it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube. It is free to view. So just go YouTube the Lizzie Bennett Diaries and start with episode one. Like Erin mm -hmm. said, clear your schedule. Um, it's good. And what... I guess the reason why we're talking about this on our first podcast is it's really... At least for me, it's really changed the way I think about my studio and the experience I want my students to have. Because um, it was really the first in this kind of wave that's new trend yes. I guess that's yeah. going on of these literary web series where it's you watch these short maybe five five to eight, to eight, minute. eight minute episodes so it doesn't take long but if they're all out you watch all of them in a row and it adds <laughs> up believe me um so it's short episodes where a character is video blogging and talking directly to the camera and telling them about their lives or having other characters and then they have some sort of social media account. So maybe it's in, normally Twitter is a really mm -hmm. big thing because you can make multiple Twitter handles right. and then the characters can talk. And then more importantly, the audience can interact with them. So you watch the episode of your show, you know, you watch, you know, Lizzie talk about her life and then you can go tweet Lizzie and be like, Lizzie, I totally understand what you're saying. And sometimes depending on the showrunners, they'll mm -hmm. tweet back to you. Right. So it's more, it's an interactive... Experience. Yes. And I remember loving that you sort of were living in this world with them, but mm -hmm. that, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see Mr. Darcy. When is he coming? And, and, and then the episode where he comes, and then you, like, each... So each episode you would get just, like, a little bit more of the story, and so it right. ended up spanning about a year... Right. And so it was just this really immersive experience, just a totally different way to experience Pride Prejudice than I'd mm -hmm. ever experienced, and it was totally awesome. And the other thing that struck me was just how into it I got. Mm -hmm. I mean, I followed all of them on Twitter. I 
made sure I subscribed so I got the YouTube updates. I really wanted everything to do with it. I've listened, and they made, then they made a book about it, yeah. and then I read the book, and then I listened to the audiobook. Um, so, and I just kept thinking, how can I make my violin studio this cool? And of course, I am not Lizzie Bennett. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a Mr. Darcy out there somewhere for me. Um, he probably won't be appearing on this podcast <laughs> since we don't have the thing. The door is locked, so random people aren't going to burst and be like, hey, big plot point. Exactly. Um, but the idea that, like, we both have Facebook pages for our mm -hmm. studio. So, like you said, 30 minutes, especially for those young kids, is not a lot. So the idea that parents and then older students, like teenagers, can be on Facebook, I don't think most teens are on Facebook anymore, but yeah. parents, I guess at this point it's really parents, you know, can log on to Facebook and they can see a picture of something that's going on in the studio or maybe a cool article I found about mm -hmm. um, a practice tip. Yeah, I share a lot of practice tips yes. on my blog and on Aaron, Facebook. So, yeah, and we'll, at the end of this, we'll tell you where to find us right. on the internet. Um, but yeah, so we both have blogs. Um, Aaron has these awesome, like, short little practice tips. They're, like, two sentences, easy to implement immediately. Right. And very quick to read. Um, I haven't been blogging as much this summer as I wanted to be. I need to get back to that. Um, I tend to write longer things because I've just accepted that I over-communicate, and that's a thing. Um, but I try to actually really think about it and... Um, blog when I have something to say and I've had a parent guest blog for me about their experience with a kid with a broken arm um, so I've tried to have an Instagram account for my studio I don't think any of my students followed it yeah um, and there's a limited number of things I can Instagram it's like here's what I wrote on the whiteboard today <laughs> here is a close-up of my violin yeah so I mean we're both trying to figure out this new social media aspect to our studios and I this think this is the next step yes exactly so for the Lizzie Bennett fans out there and all the future Lizzie Bennett fans um I think we all know how Pride and Prejudice ends so we won't be maybe if we don't talk about the biggest plot twist at the end um so what are some of the things in Lizzie Bennett that just um that surprised you I guess about how they adapted it or um, hmm. Well, um, as a redhead myself, I was a fan that the Lizzie Bennett girls, that the Bennett girls were all redheads. I am seriously impressed with the casting director's ability to cast siblings. Because all of the siblings in this, they really look yes. and act related. Yes. Um, I... I don't know. I don't know if there was any one thing about Lizzie Bennet Diaries that took me by surprise. Um, I just remember so much as the the whole idea that it could be a video blog mm -hmm. that I could live the story over the course of a year with the mm -hmm. characters. That was, I think, the most striking thing. As you get to, to feel me. like you're living it. Yes. Um, what about you? There, are, Well, there are a couple just really things I thought were really clever. Um, and how they brought 
um, things more modern. So, for example, one of the main guys in Pride and Prejudice is named Mr. Bingley. Yay. And because, you know, in Regency, Jane Austen time, you would never refer to a gentleman by his first name. Like, oh, they would never do that. So it was Mr. Bingley, Mr. Darcy. Um, and obviously in the 21st century, that would be thing. really weird. I can't... <laughs> really think of too many people who I refer to as Mr. or Mrs. last name anymore, um, with the exception of, like, my friend's parents from when I was, you know, a kid, and I haven't mm -hmm. broken the habit. Um, but one of the clever things they do in Lizzie Bennet, I also like how diverse the cast is, because, mm -hmm. um, again, with these English period dramas, it's very predominantly Caucasian, because that was how it was That's back then. Was. But in the 21st century, so... They've turned Mr. Bingley into an Asian American man named Bing Lee. Yeah, that um, was funny. So they still refer to so so you still hear them talking about Bing Lee, and it's just that pause in the middle that's different. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I thought that was incredibly clever. Um. And then at first I was kind of annoyed that they didn't have the five Bennett sisters in it. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to be type of a kind of a purist about these things. Um, yeah. I've gotten over that <laughs> for the most part. Um, I think Austin Land just crushed that out. We'll have to talk about that too. Um, but then I realized that from a logistics point, having those three characters, mm -hmm. um, Jane and Lizzie and Lydia, made more sense. Right. And then I loved what they did with Kitty. Um, mm -hmm, since in was... the books, Kitty does not have much of a personality of she her really own. Doesn't. She's kind of Lydia's tag-along. So they made Kitty literally a cat. And she had a Twitter account, Kitty Bennett, mm -hmm. and you can still follow it, I guess. So there's a vlog where Lydia's like, and I made a Twitter for my cat! She follows me everywhere! And I just thought that was yeah, that hilarious was and a really nice nod to the original um, which yep. just really shows you that the people who wrote this and created it knew the original inside and out and really wanted to keep all of the elements that someone would expect while keeping it fresh mm -hmm. and yeah. modern. Yeah. Which I think is something that we struggle with in violin since we're teaching classical music. Exactly. And but how to make that fresh and modern or a modern but, experience. Yeah. So, yeah, so Lizzie Bennet Diaries is good. Yep. We like it. It's really it's good. It's a good thing. Um, it's a fun energy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and because of that, there's been lots of other mm -hmm. literary vlog series, mm -hmm. none of which quite live up to the epic awesomeness of well, it's, And you have kind of a wide variety. I mean, you have um, high schoolers in their rooms with cameras and YouTube, mm -hmm. um, and then you actually have Lizzie Bennett was actually like written and very well scripted by mm -hmm. professionals, yes, and they hired produced. professional actors yes. and produced, and they had, um, I know they didn't have a costume really budget, because I think I, the girls who played... Um, Lizzie and Lydia actually started a blog where they told like what the clothes were that they wore in each episode because so many mm -hmm. people were asking. Um, apparently, Lizzie mostly wears anthropology. I know, oh, okay. I know, I know you're over your anthropology <laughs> phase, but I'm still there. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it was very and it actually won an Emmy mm -hmm. for like best new media series mm -hmm. or something. So anyway, Emmy award winning web series. Um, which has inspired us to try and connect with our audiences, our students, mm -hmm. and their parents, mm -hmm. and 
anyone really who likes talking about this stuff. Yeah, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's yeah. a good place to end this yeah. one. So thank you for listening, if you listened to this. Um, if you want to find us on the social media we've just been talking about, um, you can find me at claireallenviolin.com. Um, so that's C-L-A-I-R-E-A-L-L-E-N-V-I-O-L-I-N, and then .com, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on Twitter at, um, at Claire underscore violin, and if you Google, Al, or if you look, search Alan Violin Studio on Facebook, you will find me. And how about you? Yes. I, uh, my website is erinmspencer.com. Erin is E-R-Y-N-N-M-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com. Uh, and my Facebook studio page is Aaron Spencer's Violin Studio. Uh, I'm not currently on Twitter since I'm not as hip as Claire is, but... I mean, I don't know if I'm hip. I mainly follow <laughs> accounts of fictional characters and tweet at them about <laughs> Harry Potter, so I don't know if that's hip. But anyway, that's where we are. All right. Thank you for listening. I'm okay. going to be back soon. Bye. Bye.